How many of you have ever heard of the golfer Bobby or Robert Jones? Robert Jones, Bobby Jones, any golf fans, historic golf fans? Okay, so Bobby Jones, just so you know, is one of the greatest golfers of all time. He golfed around the turn of the century uh, in the early 1900s, a little bit after the turn of the century, but in the early 1900s. This was before Tiger Woods, before Phil Mickelson, before uh, Jordan Spieth, any of those guys, uh, Rory McIlroy, whatever. Robert Jones was like the best golfer on the planet. In fact, he is the only golfer in history to win the Grand Slam. The Grand Slam is when you win all four majors in uh, all four major tournaments in a single calendar year. And Robert Jones is the only one who's ever done that. In fact, he won 13 major tournaments in 15 years. 13 majors in 15 years before he retired. Now, one of the things you got to know about Robert Jones is that he could have won 14 well, he was in the 1925 U.S. Open. And in the 1925 U.S. Open, he and another golfer had played to a tie. So at the end of uh, four rounds of golf, they were tied. Uh, they, in, in the U.S. Open in those days, they would play uh, a, a playoff round, and they would play 18 more holes of playoff golf uh, before determining a winner. And at the end of the first round of 18, the first playoff round of 18, they were still tied. And so they were going to play a second round of 18 holes. At the 11th hole, Robert Jones gets up, he tees off, and he hits the ball into some deep grass. He hits it into the rough. And so he goes over to his ball, and he gets ready to, to strike the ball, and he's, he's addressing the ball. And when he put his club down, the, the ball moved. Now in golf, that's a one-stroke penalty. But remember, this is 1925. There's no TV cameras. Uh, there is no, uh, the gallery can't see him. There's no judges around, no other golfers around. His ball moved and nobody knew it. And he could have gotten away with it, except he stepped back and he called a one-stroke penalty on himself. He had integrity. So he calls this one-stroke penalty on himself. And then he uh, finishes the rest of the tournament, which he lost by a single stroke. The stroke the one-stroke penalty that he called on himself. It cost him a major tournament. He did the right thing. He did the thing that, that was required integrity. But it cost him the tournament. It cost him pretty dearly. Tournaments, uh, major tournaments, that's a lot of money right there. Even more so today than it was then. A lot of prestige. A lot of histor historical uh, significance to that. But it cost him dearly but he chose to do the right thing. You know, in our lives, sometimes we're faced with tough choices. We're faced with tough decisions. We're faced with the choice of whether to obey God and do the right thing or do the wrong thing. And sometimes when we're facing these choices of whether to do the right thing or the wrong thing, it may cost us dearly to do the right thing. It may cost us a, a promotion. It may cost us uh, status. It may cost us popularity. It may cost us a relationship. These are all things that doing the right thing may cost us if we choose to do the right thing. If we choose to obey God, sometimes choosing to obey God cost, can cost us dearly. So we're going to talk about a guy named Abraham today. Uh, and Abraham, uh, in the uh, Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, we read about the story of Abraham and how Abraham chose to do the right thing. He chose to obey God, even if it cost him dearly. And it was going to cost him dearly to, to fully obey God uh, the way he needed to. 
Uh, let me set the stage for you just a little bit. We're, we're here in the, the midst of a new series we started a few weeks ago called Even If. And what we're talking about on Sunday mornings and Saturday nights is this idea that uh, there are things in our lives that don't go the way we want them to. There are situations and circumstances that we face where things don't go the way we wish they would. Or God doesn't come through in a way that we'd like him to. Or, or God doesn't do things the way we think he should. And of course, he doesn't have to do things the way we think he should. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. The good news is he's always working on our behalf. He's always on our side. He's always on team us. And we can trust him. We can believe in him. Even if it's hard. So this sermon series about even if is those times in our lives when, you know, things don't go well and things don't go right. Will we honor? Will we praise? Will we obey? Will we serve God? Even if things don't work out the way we think they should. Even if things are going really bad, will we still honor, serve, and obey God? And we've looked at a couple stories so far. Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the Old from the Old Testament, that they chose to honor God even if they were facing the flames, and they were. Jesus chose to honor God. He chose to do God's will even though it was going to cost him his life, even though it was hard. And today we're talking about Abraham, who chose to obey God even if it cost him dearly. And so that's what we're going to talk about. In the, in the book of Genesis, we read the story of Abraham. And Abraham was called by God to be the father of many descendants, a father of a great nation. And so Abraham and his wife, Sarah, uh, were uh, waiting for a child. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited. They didn't have any children. And Abraham's wondering to himself, how can I be the father of many descendants when I don't even have a single descendant? But yet God promised him that he would be the father of a great nation. That his descendants would be like the, the stars in the, the sky or the sand on the seashore. Say that five times fast. But that's what God promised Abraham. And Abraham believed God. He believed his promise. But it was still hard. And so they're advancing in age and still no child, still no child, still no child. Abraham was 99 years old. Sarah was 89 years old when an angel of the Lord showed up to them to speak on behalf of God and said, a year from now, you will have a son. And in the other room of the tent, uh, Sarah laughed. She LOL'd at God. She literally laughed out loud at God. And she said, how am I going to give birth when I'm this old? And the angel said, you will have a child a year from now. Sure enough, a year goes by, and Sarah gives birth to a son, and they named him Isaac. And the interesting thing about the Hebrew name Isaac is it sounds a lot like the Hebrew word for laughter. So every time she called out her son's name, it was just a reminder that she laughed at God. And God got the last laugh. Well, we fast forward through Isaac's life to the time when he's a teenager. And we are in Genesis chapter 22 today. If you brought a Bible, great, you can grab it. Uh, turn to Genesis 22, or you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 14 of that Bible. We're right here at the very beginning of God's Word. We'll also put the words up on the screen, or you can use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet, like Version or Bible Gateway. And uh, we're going to read Genesis 22, 1 through 19, and we're going to take this in about five different pieces uh, as we talk about this story of Abraham. And then we're going to look at a short little passage from the New Testament from the book of Hebrews. We'll do that in just a minute. But I want to read from Genesis 22, starting in verses 1 through 5. 
Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, there's something you've got to know about that word tested, is that it's a different word from the word for tempted. You see, the New Testament, in the book of James, tells us that God doesn't tempt anyone to do evil. God cannot be tempted to do evil, and God cannot, will not tempt anyone to do evil. So if you ever have a situation you're facing, a circumstance, a situation where you think, well, God is obviously putting this temptation in front of me to see if I'm strong enough to resist. You ever have that happen? There's a piece of chocolate cake in front of you, and you know you're not supposed to eat it, but it's right there. That's not God tempting you to see if you are strong enough to handle the chocolate cake. I'm sorry, it's not. No, but God does test our faith from time to time. We go through difficult circumstances and difficult situations, and they are tests of our faith, and they really test what we do, what do we really believe. They test our faith to see if it's genuine and true and authentic. And that's what's happening with Abraham in this story. So God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now what is going through Abraham's head here? Could you imagine trying to sleep that night? Knowing that the next day you got to go and sacrifice your son on a mountain as a burnt offering? What in the world? This is my only son. You said I'd have many descendants. I have one. And now you want me to kill him? What is going on here, God? Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. So Abraham immediately obeys God. The next day, early the next morning, he gets up. And I am convinced that, Abraham, that Isaac was probably about 16 years old. Mouthy teenager, disrespecting mom and dad. And the first thing the next day, Abraham's like, let's go, kid. Time to go. You have no idea where we're going, but I know where we're going. We're going to deal with you and your attitude right now. Nope. Abraham's heart is breaking. Verse 4. On the third day. So this is a three-day journey that they take to this place, to Moriah. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Notice what he says. We're going to go over there. We will worship. And then who's going to come back? We will come back. Abraham's faith in God was so strong that he knew that God's promise was true. His promise to provide many descendants was true. And so me and the boy, we're going to go over there. We're going to worship and then we will come back. Two of us are going over. Two of us are coming back. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Isaac had to carry the, own, the wood that he was going to be sacrificed on. And he himself, carried, he himself, Abraham, carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. Could you imagine the size of the lump in Abraham's throat when he has to answer his son? Because his son has, Abraham knows what's going to happen. I mean, Abraham is fully aware of what they're about to do. And so far, there's no indication that they're not going to go through with this. And so Isaac pipes up because Isaac has no clue, but he's got to be wondering, wait a minute, what's going on here? Because I got, 
I mean, where's the sacrifice? And that's what he says. This is a question he asks his, his father. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He still hasn't put two and two together yet. He's like, well, what's going on? Abraham says this. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. God will provide the lamb. Look at the faith of Abraham. God will provide the lamb. Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And if I'm Isaac, I am freaking out. My dad just tied me up. Now, wait a minute. I asked him, God will provide the lamb. And it looks like God is providing the lamb and the lamb is me. And uh, could you, and Abraham is sitting there tying up his son. I, there was a time uh, several years ago when I have a son. He's 11 years old. I love him with all my heart. He's my, my joy. He's my world. And uh, there was a time a couple years ago I had to spank him because he, he lied to his mother and he did some very bad things deserving of, of spanking. And uh, I remember him, you know, laying over my lap. And I'm like, I look at my wife and I said, I don't know that I can do this. You know the phrase, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? Now, if you're a parent, you know what that, you've said that before. You've thought that before. If you're a child, you thought, there is no way. There ain't no way this is going to hurt you more than it hurts. No, when you're a father. Could you imagine being Abraham? Son, this is killing me. This is killing me. Verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says the same thing he said at the very, first, at the very beginning of verse 1. Here I am, he replied. And I think what he means by that is here I am. Here I am obeying you, God. Here I am doing what you've called me to do. Here I am. I'm not back at home. I'm not ignoring you. I'm not disobeying you. Here I am doing what you've told me to do. And he's sitting there, standing there with this knife above his head, getting ready to plunge it into his son. And I, I, I just can't imagine what's going through his head. And God speaks up. says, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. And that word fear means to, to trust means to obey. I know that you trust me and you're obeying me because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. That which means the most to you, you did not withhold from me. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Verse 15. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. What's amazing about this story to me is the foreshadowing. It's the foreshadowing of what Jesus did for us. Because just as Isaac carried the wood on his back, Jesus carried the wood of the cross on his back. 
through the streets of Jerusalem to the place where he would be crucified. Just as Abraham was commanded to sacrifice Isaac and Isaac was going to be the sacrifice, Isaac the son would be the sacrifice, so Jesus, the son of God, was the sacrifice who could take away our sins. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals. And, and the book of Hebrews says that the blood of animals is ineffective in taking away the sins of humans uh, once and for all. And yet Jesus went to the cross as the perfect human sacrifice. And God didn't intervene. God didn't stop the Romans from flogging him. God didn't stop the Romans from putting nails in his hands and feet, pounding nails into his hands and feet. God didn't stop the Romans from crucifying his son. God stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac, but God didn't stop the Romans from sacrificing his son. And Jesus went through with it. All the way to the cross, and all the way through the cross to the, to the empty tomb on, on Sunday morning when God raised him from the dead. Jesus went all the way. He obeyed all the way. And God didn't intervene in that moment because he knew that it had to happen. Jesus had to die. Because Jesus would rather die than live without you and me forever. He would rather suffer the pain and the agony of the cross than live without us forever. That's why Jesus died. And so now if we'll put our faith and trust in Jesus by believing in him, turning away from sin in repentance, confessing and acknowledging our faith publicly and, and being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, God will wash away all of our sins. He will cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness, from all of our sins, past, present, and future. God will cleanse us and make us holy and take us to be with him forever. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's, it's a chapter known as the, the faith chapter. And we read this story about Abraham. It says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. again and in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And Isaac, uh, Abraham believed that even if he had slain Isaac, God would raise Isaac back from the dead because Abraham knew that God had made a promise and that God is a promise keeper. That God doesn't just make promises, God keeps promises. And when God told Abraham that his son Isaac, that his lineage would, be, uh, would bless the whole world and that he would have many descendants through Isaac. Abraham knew that God's promise was true. And my question for you this morning is, do you know that God's promises are true? Do you know well enough that God's promises are true that no matter what happens, you will obey God even if it costs you dearly? One of my favorite promises in all of Scripture is found in Romans 8.28. And it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That is a promise of God. That he will work everything in every situation, in every circumstance in your life. Whether it's good, bad, or ugly, God will work it all out for good in the end. Which means if it's, if it's not good yet, it's not the end. Don't give up on your faith. Don't walk away from God because you're going through a hard time. Don't walk away from God because you're going through a difficult circumstance. Don't go walk away from God because you're in a tough trial or a tough test. Know that He can work it out and that He has promised to work it out for good in the end. If it's not the end, if it's not good, it's not the end yet. 
And God is going to work it all out for the ultimate good when Jesus returns to take us home to be with him. And so if you're going through a tough time today, if you're going through a tough circumstance, a tough test, a tough trial, a tough situation, know that God can take that circumstance, that situation, that test, that trial, and he can turn it around and work it out for the ultimate good, for your good, for your benefit, for the best for you. And it may seem hard to believe. It may seem hard to think that, yeah, this is going to work out for good. But God has promised that he will. So keep your eyes on his promises. So that when you are faced with a tough decision, when you are faced with a tough choice of do I obey God fully? Do I do what God wants me to do? Do I obey him, even if it costs me dearly, that you will go ahead and obey? You know, I look at, uh, I look at the story of Abraham. Abraham didn't know exactly how it was going to turn out, but he held to God's promise. He held to the promise that God made. And Abraham went through with it until God intervened. Abraham fully obeyed God. He was going to fully obey God, even if it cost him dearly. And so my question for you today is, will you do the same? Will you obey God, even if it costs you dearly? And some of you parents or teenagers are thinking, I want to be like Abraham. No. No, you don't. This is not giving you permission to slay your teenagers. I'm sorry. But in reality, there are certain situations and circumstances in our lives where we are faced with the decision to obey that we don't know if we want to because it may cost us too much. For example, at work, maybe you've got a situation going on at work where everybody around you is, you know, cutting corners and, 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 and they're lying to customers or they're lying to their clients to try and make more money. The boss tells you, you got to do this, you got to lie, uh, you got to cheat, you got to steal in order to, to make the company more money. And God wants you to work with integrity. God wants you to work with honesty. Will you do that? Will you say, I will obey God rather than man. I will obey God and do the right thing, even if it costs me a promotion. Or even if it costs me my job, I will still do the right thing. And I will work with integrity. And I will be a Christian at work. I will do the right thing even if it costs me dearly in my occupation. Will I do the right thing? Will you do the right thing when it comes to your relationships? Will you obey God even if it costs you a relationship? Maybe your significant other, your boyfriend, your girlfriend is pressuring you to do things. Uh, sexual immorality. Maybe they're pressuring you to do drugs. Maybe they're pressuring you to live a party lifestyle that you know doesn't please God. And will you do the right thing? Will you obey God and live a life of holiness and righteousness in your relationship? Even if it costs you that relationship. Will you do the right thing even if it costs you dearly? Will you obey God even if it costs you a relationship? I'm not telling you that it's easy. But God wants you to live a life of righteousness and holiness. And not to do what everybody else is doing. Well, everybody's doing it that way. Or everybody's doing this. Everybody's doing that. I don't care what everyone else is doing. What does God want you to do? He wants you to do the right thing. Teenagers, now that I've convinced your parents not to slay you. Or tried. Um, when it comes to being a teenager, will you do the right thing? Will you obey God even if it costs you status? Or even if it costs you popularity. Because see, there are kids at your school, teenagers, 
there's kids at your school, young people, that nobody wants to hang out with. Nobody wants to spend time with. They're outcasts. They're ostracized. They're looked down upon. They're made fun of. Will you join in them and, and, and make fun of them? Or will you do the right thing and love them like Jesus loves them? Will you uh, risk status? Will you risk popularity to befriend the nerdy kid or the geeky kid or, or the kid that nobody has, that has no friends? Will you be the friend to that kid? Will you do that? Because God wants you to love them like Jesus loves them. Will you step over that line and obey God even if it costs you dearly? Even if it costs you being made fun of? Even if it costs you popularity? Even if it costs you status? So being a Christian ain't easy. It's not. When God asks us to obey Him, it may cost us dearly. Being a Christian can be really hard. Doing the right thing can be really hard. Whether you're a teenager or a young adult or an elderberry. Wherever you are, being a Christian isn't for wimps. It's not for the weak. Well, the world will tell you, oh, you're weak and you need a crutch. I need a Savior. That's what I need. And that's what God provided. When Jesus went to that hill and he suffered and died for your sins and mine, he died as the Savior of the world. And now we live our lives to honor him, even if it's hard. We live our lives to obey him, even if it costs us dearly. And when we do that, God is honored and God is pleased. He's pleased when we do what we're supposed to do. So keep your eyes on the promise this week. Remember that the don't trade a, a temporary pleasure for an eternal promise. Don't trade a temporary pleasure for an eternal promise. Hold on to the promises of God and obey Him fully as He would have you do, even if it costs you dearly.